The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is from John 1, verses 19 through 51. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of God for the people of God. Well, hey, if I haven't met you personally, uh, my name is Bob. I'm the lead pastor here at Cormdale. And uh, to get us into the text of the Gospel of John this morning, uh, I want to bring you to the story of Cormdale Church. I want to sort of tell you a little bit of how this community came to be. Uh, our origin story as a church goes back to about 2004. Uh, my wife, Lee, and I had been married for about seven years at that time. Uh, I was a student at Reformed Theological Seminary, and I was also working in college ministry in a local church. And I took a class, an elective class in seminary on church planting. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever heard of the idea of church planting. I think I just assumed that if a church existed, it had just always existed. I don't know why I thought that. But it never occurred to me that if a church exists, it's because some people chose at some point to bring it into existence. And so this class walked through the New Testament and just talked about how the apostles, as they sought to fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave, did that by starting churches. And they went to the various cities of the Roman Empire and they birthed these new communities of Christians. And that's how Christianity spread. And I began to be compelled by that idea. Well, number one, I saw that it was biblical and it was how the apostles had done things. And I began to pray and seek the Lord and be provoked about our own city, the city of Omaha, and thinking, um, I, I sense that there's a need for more churches here and specifically some churches to connect with people who maybe are skeptical, who are like me. They're a little bit critically minded. Uh, maybe they are familiar with the Bible. This is not new stuff to them, but there's a sense that they don't feel like Jesus is relevant mainly because they haven't experienced the church as relevant. So I began to pray and seek the Lord and have some conversations with uh, people that I knew. And um, about a year later, as that story sort of came to be, uh, August of 2005, a core team of 63 people was commissioned and sent out to form uh, Coromdeo Church. That was 16 years ago this week. So happy birthday, whether you know it or not, it's your birthday. Congratulations. Uh, here's a photo of a few of the people who were part of that early team. Uh, this photo was taken at our five-year birthday party, uh, and you probably recognize some of those folks. Many of them are still around uh, to this day. And as God has sort of worked over the past 16 years, people have met Jesus, people have become disciples of Jesus, people have joined the church and the mission, and here you are today. Cormdale Church is now quite a large and quite a diverse group of people. Uh, here's what's interesting about thinking about that story. So that story goes back 16 years. But if you continue rewinding the clock, right? if you start asking, hey, how did those 63 people first come to faith in Jesus? Hey, what's the story of the church that planted the church that planted the church that planted Coram Deo? Like if you just keep rewinding the clock, do you know where it takes you? It takes you right here to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Because as we see Jesus call his first disciples, 
As Jesus invites Andrew and Simon Peter and Philip and Nathaniel to follow him, we are seeing the birth of the church, the beginnings of this movement of followers of Jesus that you and I are caught up in today. Our story as a church and as people begins here. And so we began last week preaching through the Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to continue that. If you're just joining us, I'd invite you to go back and listen to last week as we kind of introduced the book. Um, and by the way, if you're newer to Coram Deo uh, and you'd like one, if you'll come see me after the service, I've got these little uh, Gospel of John study guides. It's like a little journaling Bible, basically. It's got the text of the Gospel of John and then some blank pages for you to take notes. And so if you'd like one of those, if you're newer to the church, come see me afterwards, and I'd love to meet you and, and give you that as a gift. Now, we find ourselves today in the latter half of chapter 1, which tells us about Jesus' first disciples. And so the question is, why is John, the writer, recording these stories? Why does he want us to know about Andrew and Simon Peter and Philip and Nathaniel? And the answer is, because he wants you also to follow Jesus. When John records in verse 43, Jesus' words to Philip, follow me. John wants you to hear Jesus speaking to you as well, saying to you, follow me. These verses are very, about, very much about the nature of what it means to follow Jesus. Who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? So that's the big idea. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I want to show you three things about following Jesus that John reveals to us here. First of all, following Jesus begins wherever you are. Second, following Jesus de-centers you. And third, following Jesus brings you to a personal encounter with him. So that's where we're going to head this morning. If you are using one of the Bibles that you'll find on a chair underneath you, there's a little rack under there. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on page 833, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 51. And let's begin with this first idea that following Jesus begins wherever you are. Here's why it's important that we think about this. Because a lot of us believe that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to start with some kind of preparation. We kind of need to get our life together. We need to get some things sorted out. We need to go back and do some work in our past. And, and once we do that, then we can start following Jesus. And I understand why we think that way. In fact, in some ways, it's a sign of respect for who Jesus is. Because let's be honest, you have all started that diet or that workout plan or made that New Year's resolution about how everything was going to change, and you didn't stick with it, right? And so there's something in you that knows, hey, this following Jesus is a big and significant thing. And man, if I'm going to do that, I really want to know that I'm ready to do that. And so in some sense, the idea that I need to prepare, get some things straightened out, might be a, an attempt on our part to, to just do justice to the thing that we're talking about and to honor Jesus. But listen, what John wants to point out to you is actually... What that is, even though it might feel like respect for Jesus, it's actually a form of self-trust. It's a form of self-salvation. What we're saying is, hey, Jesus, let me work on some stuff first. Let me sort some of my own stuff out, and then I'll come and follow you. What John wants you to see is, hey, following Jesus begins wherever you are. There are no prerequisites. There's no preparation required you can start wherever you find yourself right now. 
And the way that John shows us that is by introducing us to this vast cast of characters that we meet in the second half of chapter one. Let's look at all the people who in this chapter decide to follow Jesus. First of all, we meet John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist is this prophetic figure who's sort of a local celebrity. He's a spiritual leader who has a lot of influence. He has followers. He's kind of making some waves in the society. In John chapter 1, verse 29, here's what happens. John the Baptist, verse 29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John bears witness to Jesus and says, you should follow him. This is the one that it's all about. Well, next in the text, we meet two of John the Baptist's disciples. So these would be people who longed for religious reform. They, they were unhappy with the status quo among the religious people of Jesus' day. They were longing for something deeper and something better and some kind of renewal and revival among God's people. And so they were following John the Baptist. We meet them in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So these two disciples follow Jesus as well. Next in the story, we meet um, Andrew's brother, Simon, who the Gospel of Matthew tells us is a fisherman by trade. He's a hardworking, blue-collar kind of guy. And his brother comes to him and says, hey, you got to meet this Jesus guy. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So now Peter begins to follow Jesus. Next in the story, we meet Philip. Philip isn't even looking for Jesus. Apparently, Jesus goes looking for him. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. We don't even, there's no backstory. We don't know who Philip is. Just as Jesus found him and said, follow me. So Philip starts following Jesus. And next we meet Philip's buddy, Nathaniel, who apparently didn't go to the implicit bias seminar at work because he's got prejudice against Nazareth. He's just right out with it, right? Philip goes to Nathaniel, says that we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really? And Philip said to him, come and see. So he follows Jesus. So we have this whole cast of characters that John is introducing. And the point is, look, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your story is, following Jesus begins wherever you are. You don't have to prepare in some way. You don't have to get ready. You don't need to get to the next place in life. You don't need to sort through the next set of issues to sort of get things straightened out. You don't need to know more or do more or repent more or grow more. You just need to start where you are. The invitation is, wherever you are, follow me. So again, John's writing to you and me. He's writing this for those of us who come later. And so here we are, hearing this message, and Jesus is saying to you, follow me. So here's the question. What are you waiting 
for? What's your hesitancy to follow Jesus? Is there something you think you need to get figured out first? Is there some way you think you need to sort of prepare? Is there something that's holding you back? Jesus is calling to you right now and saying, hey, follow me. Following Jesus begins wherever you are. The second thing John wants to show us is that following Jesus de-centers you. Here's what I mean. As Americans, we live in a world that wants to put you at the center of reality, right? This is how capitalism works. Right? Every advertiser wants you to imagine how much better your life would be if you used their product or service. Every social media company wants you to build a little online world with you at the center, and then they have an algorithm that will just keep feeding that world, right? It's no accident that the largest video platform in the world is called YouTube, because who is at the center of that world? You are. Whatever you want to watch, whatever your preferences are, that's what's at the center. And what's happened in this world that we live in where everything is made to be about us, what's happened is that we've made the gospel about us also. Listen to this penetrating observation from J.I. Packer. He writes, Without realizing it, we have during the past century bartered the gospel for a substitute product. Hence our troubles. For the substitute product does not answer the ends for which the authentic gospel has in past days proved itself so mighty. The new gospel conspicuously fails to produce deep reverence, deep repentance, deep humility, a spirit of worship, a concern for the church. Why? We would suggest that the reason lies in its own character and content. It fails to make men God-centered in their thoughts and God-fearing in their hearts because this is not primarily what it is trying to do. Whereas the chief aim of the old gospel was to teach men to worship God, the concern of the new seems limited to making them feel better. The subject of the old gospel was God and His ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help God gives him. There's a world of difference. The Apostle John is preaching to us the old gospel. A gospel that makes us God-centered in our thoughts and God-fearing in our hearts. Look at verse 19. John, the writer, says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So notice John begins the story by telling us that the Jews sent priests and Levites to inquire of John. In other words, he's cluing you into the fact that the story we're reading is in some way bound up with the story of Israel. 
the story of the Jewish people. And that story has three reference points that John the Baptist seems possibly to connect to. They ask him, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? The Greek word Christ, the Hebrew word Mashiach or Messiah, is a word that means the anointed one. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It's a way of saying King Jesus, all right? Christ, the Christ, is this anointed king, the great descendant of David, who would come in the future to restore the kingdom and to rule over God's people, according to the prophet Isaiah. So they had this, this, this image, this expectation of a coming anointed one. The prophet is a reference to Deuteronomy 18, one of the most famous things that Moses ever said, something that would have stuck in the minds of every Jewish person living at the time. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. And so ever since Moses had died, the Jewish people were hoping and expecting a prophet like Moses to arise. And Elijah, the reference to Elijah, is a reference to the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're a Jewish person living at the time of Jesus, there's been 400 years of silence. It's been 400 years since there was a word from the Lord. And the last word from the Lord that's inscripturated, that's recorded for us in the prophet Malachi in the last chapter is this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the Old Testament had ended looking forward to this future leader who was to come, who would be a prophet greater than Moses, a king greater than David, and a messenger like Elijah. That's why these leaders come to John the Baptist and say, hey, which one of these three are you? And he says, I'm none of them. Here's what I am. I'm a voice. I'm a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord which is again a quotation from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40, another text that's pregnant with meaning and expectation. Here's the point in how John frames the story. The point is this, the story of Jesus is not a story about you. It's a story about God. It's a story about Israel. It's a story that's ultimately about God's plan to redeem the world, which began all the way back when he made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and that he's been fulfilling ever since. That's what the story is about. Do you ever watch a movie all the way to the end? Like through the end credits? I know you have to do that now with the Marvel movies, because that's where the, the hook is for the next one, right? So, but I mean, you know, even before that, if you just like let the movie play out and watch through the end credits, you know how this goes, right? Like the big fonts at the end are like the director who's really famous, all the key stars. You're like, oh yeah, that person was in the movie. And then the text starts getting smaller and smaller. And it's like the third assistant camera grip and executive assistant to the caterer and the guy that drove the golf cart, right? Just like all these people that are like in super small font, their names are so small you have to like lean in to read them. That's you. That's who you are in the story, right? The big font is Jesus, God, Moses, David, right? And you and I are these little, the little, we have a part to play in the story. 
but we're the small font at the end credits. The story's not about us. It's about Jesus. And that's what John is saying, is that you're caught up in a way bigger story than you realize. It's something God's been doing since the beginning of time. He's bringing his purposes to fulfillment, and you have a little role to play in that. John is helping you see. Following Jesus displaces you from the center of the story. It's refreshing to finally be caught up in a story that's not about you, isn't it? Because there's no pressure on you to be the star. You get to enjoy playing the role that God has called you to play and being a small part of this much bigger story that has to do with God and his purposes in the world. So John is helping you to say, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, you're swept up in a bigger story. And so it helps to know the backstory. Like you should get to know the backstory. It's, it's kind of like the Marvel movies where like if you didn't see the other 20, you're kind of out, Right? John's saying, hey, when Jesus comes on the scene, he's stepping into a story that goes back to Moses and to David and to Elijah and to all these characters in the Old Testament. So guess what? That's your story now. So you should want to get to know that story. That's why we read the Old Testament because it tees up, it sets us up for, okay, who is Jesus and why is he coming on the scene and what do people expect of him? This is a much bigger story than you thought of, than you would have conceived. And so it helps us as disciples of Jesus living now to know the backstory. When you follow Jesus, that story becomes your story. You get swept up in that narrative. Following Jesus decenters you in a wonderful way, in a refreshing way, in a way that makes it really enjoyable to just play the role that God has given you. Here's the third thing we see in this text. Following Jesus brings you to a personal encounter with him. Look at verse 45 again. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So notice Nathanael's encounter with Jesus starts with some skepticism. If that's where you find yourself this morning, cool, you're welcome in this story. Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus starts with like, really, man? He's from Nazareth. Like, I heard he went to Millard South. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of a moment. I'm just trying to connect with you guys. Um, and, and, and Philip says, well, hey, just come and see. Like, I get it that you have some skepticism, but, but come and see for yourself. All right, so when Nathaniel hears of Jesus, he's skeptical, but Philip says, hey, well, come and see. I mean, you know how you sometimes know people because you know someone else who knows them? Like, my son Parker went off to college in Oklahoma and built this whole network of relationships there, and so I'm known to all of his college friends as Parker's dad, right? Like, my relationship with them is not a primary relationship, it's a secondary relationship. What's really going on is I have a relationship with Parker, Parker has a relationship with them, right? So Parker is sort of the, the connecting point, well, that's how following Jesus starts out for a lot of us too, right? It's not really a relationship with, between me and Jesus yet. It's I know someone and this someone is into Jesus. So my, I'm sort of like connected in a secondary way to Jesus. That's how Nathaniel starts out. But notice what happens then is that it gets personal. It becomes first person. Nathaniel, through Philip, gets connected and encounters Jesus for himself. Look at verse 47. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. By the way, I don't know fully what this comment is saying, but I think what Jesus is doing is helping Nathanael realize that he knows what he said about Nazareth. Like, it's kind of a way of saying, well, I mean, the guy's not faking it. He's okay to just crack on my hometown. I mean, I think it's like, it's a way of commending Nathaniel, but also sort of cluing him into like, ah, I know what you really think about where I came from. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. This is the moment where it gets personal for Nathaniel, where Jesus says, hey, I know you. And where Nathaniel says to Jesus, how do you know me? Notice the first person dialogue, right? How do you know me? I saw you. See, you can't follow Jesus by living off of other people's encounters with Jesus. Like at some point, you have to have a primary encounter with Jesus. And it's possible, like Nathaniel's story, that for many of us, the way we sort of get into that encounter is, is secondarily, right? You're connected to some people who are into church and they're into Jesus and they're kind of followers of Jesus. And so maybe you're kicking the tires and trying to learn about, okay, who is this Jesus and why in the world would you follow him? But following Jesus eventually brings you to a place of personal encounter. And so the question this text puts before us as we sit here and listen and hear this sermon is this, have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? Just him and you. Not him and you and your parents. Not him and you and your college ministry. Not him and you and your church friends. But you and Jesus. That's what I long for for you. That's what John longs for for you. That's what Jesus is after, is a personal encounter with you. And when you encounter Jesus personally, listen to me, it changes you. And it changes you in at least two ways, and we see both of them in this text. Number one, a personal encounter with Jesus changes your identity. It changes how you think of yourself. It changes your primary identification as a human being. And where we see this in the story is in Jesus' renaming of Simon Peter. Um, by the way, you know this character in the Bible, and you know him as what? Peter. Because he's one of Jesus' most famous disciples. He wrote a few books in the Bible, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. They're like in the Bible. It's not 1 Simon and 2 Simon. It's 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So you're familiar with this person, and John the writer, catch this, knows that you and every other Christian knows this guy as Peter. So when he introduces him for the first time in the narrative, notice what he calls him, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So he introduces him to you as Simon Peter. So you go, oh yeah, I know who that is. But then he rolls the story back. Verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. Notice again that first person encounter. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
hey, here's who you've been to this point in your life. Simon, son of John, I know who you are. I know your story. Hey, you know what your name's going to be from now on? Peter. He changes his name and changes the way he primarily identifies himself. No longer is his identity tied to his family of origin or what his story has been to this point. From this day forward, this person is known to us as Peter because he encountered Jesus and an encounter with Jesus changes your identity, changes your primary way of identifying yourself in the world. You receive a new name and friends, this is exactly what baptism symbolizes. You are not baptized into your name. You are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a renaming ceremony. You're taking on a new name and a new primary identity because you have encountered Jesus, and that encounter with Jesus has changed you. The second way that encounter with Jesus changes you, it changes your purpose. It changes what you're about in life. You become a missionary to others. Because you have encountered Jesus personally, you just want others to have that same encounter. And so you start saying to people, hey, come and see. Just like Philip said to Nathaniel, and just like Andrew said to Simon Peter, hey, come and see. We found this, we found Jesus. And I know that might seem weird to you, but you got to come check this out. Every one of you here is a Christian. This is how you became a Christian, right? Because someone at some point in your life said to you, hey, come and see. Come and meet this Jesus. Come and encounter Jesus. I'm here because my mother, when I was a young child, shared the gospel with me and helped me encounter Jesus and understand who he was. And a generation before that, my grandfather's best friend from high school came home on summer vacation, started a little Bible study in his living room with my grandfather and grandmother when they were in their 30s and led them to faith in Jesus. You're here because somebody said to you, hey, I've found Jesus and he's changed my life and I want you to check this out too. I want you to come and see. Following Jesus brings you to a personal encounter with him that changes your identity and changes your purpose. And so here's the question. Have you encountered Jesus in that kind of a personal way? See, the, the glorious thing about this story is the invitation keeps rolling forward, right? Maybe you're here and you're still like Nathaniel. You sort of encountered Jesus from a distance. You still have sort of a secondary relationship with Jesus. Someone you know is a Christian, and they've sort of invited you to consider Jesus. And so maybe you're still sort of secondarily connected. But this morning, John and Jesus, through the text of John, is saying to you, hey, come follow me. Come encounter me personally. Every church is made up of two kinds of people, those who have had this personal encounter with Jesus and some who are on their way toward that kind of encounter. So either you've had this encounter with Jesus or maybe you're on your way toward that kind of encounter. Either way, here's what I want you to hear. The Lord Jesus Christ is active through his word this morning inviting you, hey, follow me. Come follow me. This invitation goes forward even today. And if we ask the question, but, but why? Why would I follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, John has said so many things about Jesus in this chapter that it's going to take the rest of the book to unpack them all. So I don't know if you caught all the terms, but who is Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's just dropping all this stuff in there that you're probably overwhelmed. Like, I don't even know what all that means. And John's like, yeah, keep reading because I'm going to unfold all of that. But the point is, 
This Jesus is a significant person. He has come from God. He's the Word made flesh. He's come into the world to save sinners, and he's cluing you in here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like the thing about Jesus is he removes your sin, gives you a new identity, forgives you and cleanses you. That's the primary thing Jesus has come to do in the world. And he's come to do that because he's sent by the Father to redeem a broken creation and bring it back into fullness and wholeness. And you're invited into that story. So there's a whole lot more we got to know. Yeah. There's a whole lot more we got to learn. There's a whole lot more we got to learn, but John's sort of teasing it all to us. He's like, hey, here's all the teasers that we're going to come back. And when I say this 10 chapters from now, you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember he hinted at that in chapter one. So the invitation is, hey, John's inviting you to follow him. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Like these first disciples, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your story is, wherever you find yourself right now this morning, the invitation is come follow me. And let's respond to that invitation, right? Let's follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you invite us, whoever we are, wherever we are, to follow you. Thank you for this story that John tells of all these various people who found their way to be followers of you and who you sought out with your love and your kindness. And so, Father, this morning, for those who are not yet followers of you, I pray that you hear your invitation and respond. For those in this room or within the sound of my voice who are followers of you, I pray you'd renew our desire, our motivation, our excitement about being your followers. And that you'd remind us that that changes our identity, changes how we see ourselves, and it changes our purpose. So Father, let us come and see who Jesus is. And let us invite others as well to come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.